0: So we're in this little series called Open Our Eyes, and we're in Matthew 21. I hope you've turned there. And last week, in private review at home, my wife said, it took you way too long to get to the Scripture. So we're starting with the Scripture today, Matthew 21. In fact, would you stand and let me read a portion of it for you? Just let's stand up and let me read some of this. Matthew 21, starting verse 23. Verse 23. And when Jesus entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching. And they said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? And Jesus answered them, I also will ask you one question. And if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John. From where did it come? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, If we say, From heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say, From man, we're afraid of this crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And he said to them, Well, then neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Thank you. Now, before you sit down, would you turn around when I say three? Ready? One, two, three, go. Go. All right, you may be seated. <laughs> All right, now since we already showed each other, let's have true confessions. Who turned around when I asked you to? Who listened and turned around? Okay, who didn't turn around? And said, "I'm that's silly. I'm going to just sit down." Thank you. Okay, so. You basically you were you willing to follow my authority or your own authority see that's kind of the choice that you had to make there, huh <laughs> see <laughs> Jesus is on a collision course with the religious leaders, and they want Jesus to stop doing miracles and to cease preaching and to quit calling people to repentance or inviting people to follow Jesus as Lord of their lives. And the big idea we're looking at today is that God is calling people to repentance and humility and true worship of God by recognizing Jesus is Lord. And Jesus wanted that from the religious leaders of his day. They were caught up with their own authority. Jesus challenged them to give up the hardness of their hearts and their overinflated view of their self-importance, their pride, and recognize that God was sitting in their midst. Now, if we back up and look a little bit at the context, Jesus is in Jerusalem at a feast of the Passover, and he has arrived there with a large crowd of people who've recognized him. He had brought Lazarus back from the dead about a week before this in Bethany, which is a little village on the top of the Mount of Olives, about Less than a two-mile walk from uh, Jerusalem, and so the crowd had gathered around him and were shouting. And Jesus had asked a couple of the disciples, "Go get a donkey colt," and he got on it. And they put their coats on, and he rode down. It's what we call, you know, Palm Sunday or triumphal entry. Is is the, and. Um, they're all celebrating and yelling, Hosanna to the Son of David. In other words, that's a king. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And uh, then he had come into the city. He had uh, been so irritated with the merchants right in the temple area that he pushed them and the animals out. Then he was healing blind people, lame people, receiving uh, praises from the children that are there, quoting their parents Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then he had gone to his friends in Bethany overnight. He's coming back into the temple and the next day and he sees this fig tree and he wants something to eat and there's no figs on it. And he condemns the barren fig tree and it shrivels up. And then he goes on into the temple area and starts preaching, talking to people. Well, somewhere that that night while he was out in Bethany, I'm convinced this isn't in the Bible, but I bet the chief priests and elders had this emergency meeting that night. What are we going to do about Jesus? He's doing miracles. He's preaching. He's so popular with all the people. Comes right in the temple and turns over the tables and pushes out the merchants. And the crowds just think he's so awesome we can't do anything about it. If we're not careful, he'll get a riot started. And then the Romans will come down on us. We're supposed to keep the peace. Let's rope him in in the morning. Let's help him to see he doesn't have any authority as far as we're concerned. Who does he think he is anyway? And so that next morning, they confronted Jesus when he had come to the temple and he started teaching whoever would listen. They just kind of come up and interrupt things and they asked two questions. Number one, by what authority do you do these things? These things being disrupting the free trade, Preventing the opportunity for people to purchase their sacrifices right here. Healing cripples and blind people and beggars right here in the temple. Receiving the grossly exaggerated praise from all the little children. I mean, they're talking to you, Jesus, like you're God. And they're calling you son of David, your king. You didn't even attempt to stop them. And you set up shop and started preaching right here in the temple. Who authorized that? My dad was a big military guy, he was a chain of command and following orders and all that stuff. And so when he didn't like something, he would furrow his brow and he would ask, who authorized that? And, and you knew, you know, you were in trouble because he's basically saying he's in charge and he wasn't for that, whatever it was. So... By what authority are you doing these things? The second question they ask, and who gave you this authority? Where did it come from? Because we are the temple keepers and you didn't ask us and if you'd asked us, we would have said no. And you've been acting like you are the Messiah and you, (laughs) you are from Hicksville, way up there in Galilee and you're gonna come down here to Jerusalem and try to teach us something and you are rocking the boat and we can't have that. Now, By way of review, a couple years before this, John the Baptist had been inspired by God's Holy Spirit to go out into the wilderness and preach. And he had said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And crowds, for some reason, known only to God, had flocked out there to hear him preach this message. They had repented and they had been baptized. And John the Baptist was the first prophet that had shown up for 400 years. And the people recognized John as God's messenger. But the religious leaders felt threatened by John. They were in power by the authority of Rome, and they didn't want anything or anybody challenging their balance of power or upsteading the status quo. So they had gone out to John, and they actually asked John the very same question they asked Jesus that we're looking at today. Who are you? What are you doing? What's your authority? Look at, If you want to hold your place in Matthew, flip over to John chapter 1. It's just a few pages over. John 1, 22 says, They said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, if you go back and look in the book of Isaiah, it's just... Uh, uh, to the right of Psalms, a few books. It's one of the largest books of the prophets, and it came at a dismal time where the people were were shattered, and they felt like uh, God wasn't keeping his promises, and that things were going badly. And in Isaiah 40, it says, "A voice in the wilderness." Cries, a voice cries, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Leave that screen up for a minute. Because in the Hebrew text, there are no, (laughs) there's no punctuation. There's also no vowels, so that makes it a little more challenging. But if you were to read this without punctuation, you could read it, a a voice cries, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Or you could read it, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Now, I think when John was alive, he understood it to mean go to the wilderness and start declaring. Prepare the way of the Lord. And so he has done that. And he quotes this. Every valley will be lifted up. Every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This week, Cindy and I were watching some movie that was uh, supposed to be in Africa. And we're watching away. Of course, they have dirt roads. And you remember I spent seven years there as a missionary kid. So I'm looking at this movie. I said out loud, that wasn't shot in Africa. They don't have any road that that's that smooth. (laughs) And she goes, I knew you would say that. (laughs) <laughs> because I've, I guess I've said it before, but you know, when it rains on a dirt road and then you've got these huge trucks called lorries that carry people and other heavy vehicles, they make ruts and then the ruts fill with water and then as they go by, the mud splashes out and the ruts get deeper and deeper and deeper and pretty soon you can't even drive you know, your little Volkswagen because you're gonna bottom out. And that's what he's saying here in Isaiah is uh, you know, there's been erosion in your life and you need to get ready for the Messiah to come to you. Fill the ruts back in, make it smooth open it up get it ready for somebody important to show up he's coming your direction and John is saying I'm, I am bringing that because the mouth of the Lord has spoken it now if we take just aside for a minute look what this tells us about our God our God is a good God and he has a plan to reveal himself and to rescue his people from their sin he has the prophet Isaiah predict an event a voice of somebody calling out in the wilderness saying prepare your heart for God's arrival cuz there's some preparation that needs to be done. And then all flesh everybody is going to see the glory of the Lord. Well that was 700 years go by between the time Isaiah said this and John fulfilled it. Cuz God's not in a hurry. He's intentional. And God raises up John the Baptist to be this voice in the wilderness, calling people to repent and to prepare. And right after that, God sends Jesus into the world to reveal the glory of the Lord. And Jesus does. So you have the call hey, prepare. And the response is repent, humble yourself, get your heart ready for God to do something. You have to open yourself up to something new, which might be unfamiliar. And uncomfortable and be willing to let go of your agenda and follow and then you will see and then the glory is revealed and the response see and worship so John the Baptist was God's messenger sent to deliver the call and he spoke with authority of somebody who was delivering a message right from God because he was he was filled with God's Holy Spirit and people responded in repentance they turned their lives around they got their hearts ready to meet God But not everybody. These religious leaders who thought they were in charge refused to let go of their pride. They went along with the crowd but only to listen so they could condemn or criticize. They thought their positions of prominence were under attack and they refused to admit out loud that John spoke for God. They discounted everything he said because of the changes it would cause in their life if they said, he's telling the truth. And if you go back to John chapter 1, verse 29, it says, one day John saw Jesus. Now, they were cousins. John was six months older than Jesus, so he'd probably known Jesus most of his life as his playmate at all the family gatherings. And it says in verse 21, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's John seeing Jesus, points at him and says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. Well, how was Jesus after and before John? He was before John because he was God and always was. I myself did not know him. In other words, I didn't know how important he was. He was. But for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, that is, the one, it's the voice of God who spoke to me as authority said, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. John says, I have seen and borne witness that this Is the Son of God. But the religious leaders weren't listening to John, or they would have bowed before Jesus when Jesus was baptized. They didn't have a humble heart. They weren't in their heart saying, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. They were deaf. They were blind to the truth. They heard the words, but they discarded it. If this actually was the truth, that God was walking among them, they would have to defer. They would have to step back. They would have to humble themselves and give God the position of leadership among his people. But their hearts are hard, and their eyes are blind to what God is doing. And they refuse to recognize any authority greater than their own, except for the power of the sword forced on them by Rome. So they asked Jesus, who gave you this authority? Okay, what's the simple answer? Who gave Jesus the authority? God did. God, that's the answer. Jesus is God. He came from God. He spoke as God. He does does miracles as God. And Jesus knows their hearts are hardened, and he knows their eyes are blind, and they are the ones who set this up to have a public confrontation with Jesus. doesn't say they pulled him aside and spoke to him quietly right in front of everybody he's teaching. They wanted to have this talk. And they said, who gave you this authority? So Jesus pulls them further into conversation. It says in verse 24, Jesus answered them, I'll answer you one question. If you tell me, you know, I'll ask you a question, you tell me the answer, and then I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, is it from God or is it from man? So Jesus basically says, you tell me, I'll tell you. John, is he from God or from man? I mean, the work of God, John the Baptist had to be from one of those two sources, and it was clear that John, Jesus was convinced that John's authority came from God, that John was a true prophet, lived like a prophet, taught like a prophet, died like a prophet, just like the Old Testament prophets. He spoke with God-given authority. So Jesus is asking, was John sent from God? Because you know that he identified me as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. He identified me as the son of God, the one who was to come. So why didn't you believe what he had to say? If he was from God, why did you ignore his call for repentance and heart change? Or was John just a human effort? I mean, that he just kind of went off half-cocked. I mean, you remember from Luke chapter 1, John's dad was a priest. His name was Zechariah. He and his wife Elizabeth had a terrible time having children, and they were grandparents' age before God blessed them with John. He came late in their life. In fact, Zechariah was in the, in the temple as the priest offering the sacrifice when the angel showed up First time in who knows how many hundreds of years for an angel to show up in the temple and to talk to somebody and to say, your prayer has been heard. You are going to have a son. And this caused no small stir. So then they had baby John. And John grew up, and who knows when his parents died, but he grew up out in the wilderness, kind of wild. And when he came into his ministry, he didn't come in the temple with robes. He dressed kind of funny. He ate funny stuff. He spoke with no tact or any respect for people in authority. He just said God's word. So Jesus says, was John from God? Or was he a human voice crying in the wilderness, trying to stir things up? Because Jesus said, that's really what you think, isn't it? But you can't say that because the people would stone you because you hold that opinion because they are sure that John was a prophet come from God. So (laughs) Jesus is asking them this question. And just a little aside, Jesus doesn't ask questions like this just to make casual conversation over a cup of tea. He asks a question to help lead his listeners to a godly response. When you are in your own thoughts, in your own quiet time, or even during the day, and all of a sudden a thought pops in your head that you go, that didn't come from me. where did it come from? It might have come from God. It might be God's still small voice saying, listen. Respond in humility and faith and obedience. So Jesus says, where's John from? Is he from God or from man? And it says they discussed among themselves. That's pretty funny because all of a sudden they kind of have this whole holy huddle. What's the answer? He said, well, if we say he's from heaven, he's going to say, why didn't you listen to him? If we say he's from man, we're going to die. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. We don't know. If they don't know about John, who everybody, it was obvious even to uneducated people that John was from God, how do they think they have the authority to judge Jesus, who's done so many more miracles greater than John? And Jesus said to them, well, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Jesus didn't say, well, I don't know either where my authority comes from. He said, I, neither will I tell you. In other words, you didn't tell me, and I won't tell you. Because Jesus is saying, actually, you do know. You just don't want to say. You do know, but you don't like where the truth will take you, that John was the prophet sent from God. And the truth is, John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and he was talking about Jesus. If you were to go to the last two verses of the last book in the Old Testament, it's a book called Malachi, and in chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, say this. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Now this prophecy... Malachi came at a dismal time in the nation's history. Things weren't going well, and God gives a promise that before the great and awesome day of the Lord, there is going to be a prophet, Elijah. Elijah was this most powerful prophet who stood up and powerfully spoke for God, and miracles happened. And he says there's going to be another Elijah sent from God to usher in the Messiah. This would bring in the great and awesome day of the Lord. So this verse would give comfort and hope to people of faith who lived in a dark, dismal, hopeless time that someday in the future there would be a great and awesome day of the Lord. We live at that kind of time, don't we? Things that don't seem to be going well. Christianity seems to be going backwards, losing influence. Evil seems to be winning. But there's a great and awesome day of the Lord coming. So after this prophecy is given, for the next 400 years, people wonder, when's it going to happen? Is it today? When is it going to happen? Hey, do you think that prophet is alive right now? He just hasn't shown up yet. And then suddenly John has burst on the scene. And if John truly was the prophet sent from God, and Jesus is the Lord who comes in the great and awesome day of the Lord, then these Jewish leaders and religious experts should have been some of the first people to recognize him and to welcome him and bow at his feet. Not to give him static and a challenge at every point, but they were caught up in their own authority. They were stuck on themselves. They thought they were in charge. So Jesus tells a parable against them. And this little parable is only found in the book of Matthew, not in Mark or Luke or John. So Matthew 21, 28, Jesus says to them, What do you think? A man has two sons, and he went to the first, and he said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterwards, he changed his mind, and he went. And he went to the other son, and he said the same. And he said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Jesus asked them, which of the two did the will of the father? And they said, "Uh, the first one. Now, one son says no, and then he changes his mind, and he goes and does the right thing. One son says yes which is the right answer, but he never went. There's actually two other possible responses, aren't there? There's a response that somebody says no and they never go, and there's a response that says yes, and the person goes and does the will of the Father. Jesus just focused on these two responses, said no but then went, said yes but never showed. The son who said no changed his mind. This is the number one son is identified in this story as the tax collectors and prostitutes who heard Jesus declare the word. And they repented. And the other son who said yes but never went is identified as the nation of Israel in Jesus' day, particularly these religious leaders. They said the right words, but their hearts were far from God. And they were just pretending to please God. And God wasn't fooled. Jesus starts the story by saying, Think think he's talking to people who have been considered the smartest the top of their class the best thinkers in the nations the people who've memorized the whole old testament and a lot of midrash as well and they can quote the most respected rabbis of their day and jesus invites them think think look at the facts study them consider where that leads you and search till you find the truth and when you find the truth embrace it with your whole heart don't try to maneuver it into your preconceived conclusion. Don't try to manipulate it so that you maintain your position or your power. Jeremiah gave a promise you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. We want to be those kind of people. Jesus says, think. I know of a dad who had two young sons, about six and seven years old, and one day they came to him. This is a true story. They came to him and said, Dad, how come God gave us a mouth and a nose to breathe? Two different ways. Dad was kind of quick on his feet. He says, well, he says he gave us a mouth so that we can breathe, get all this oxygen in our body and help us grow big and strong. And he gave us a nose to breathe so that we could get oxygen to our brain to help us do better thinking. Like, God, okay. So anyway, Later that week, they got in some family discussion and it kept going, kept going, ratcheted up. Pretty soon, it's getting a little frustrating and one of the boys finally, in frustration, goes, Dad, breathe through your nose. (laughs) That's what Jesus is saying to them. Think, think, Jesus says to them. Truly, I say to you, Jesus basically starting a serious statement with that. The tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you didn't believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him and even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your mind and believe. You said no when Jesus arrived and after you thought about it and you saw the miracles he did and you heard the message of truth, you still said No. The tax collectors and the prostitutes, these are, these are the lowest of the low. These are the embarrassments in society. These are the ones they see every day, but they don't see. These are real bona fide sinners. But they have heard the truth, and they have heard Jesus, and they have responded to his gracious invitation appropriately, which an appropriate response to the truth of God's word is to say, Dear God, I was so wrong. I have made so many mistakes. I am sorry. Please forgive me. This kind of person shows the glory of God. They've been so bad, so despicable, so shameful. There is no way they deserve to be in heaven, but God forgives them. An ocean full of sins. And they say sorry and thank you. And their lives are changed, transformed. They fall in love with Jesus. They have done a U-turn. And it puts some of us who've lived honorable lives and loved God and done our best to shame because we run the risk of knowing the truth about God, so it's we kind of, oh, um, yeah, I know that. We can end up being like that second son. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'll say all the right words, but I'll never get around to doing what God wants me to do. When I was in high school, I mean, I loved Jesus. I, I wasn't putting it in anybody's face. I'd gone to church, you know, since uh, I think I missed my first Sunday, but after that I've been here. And... There was this guy that was into drinking and partying and yucking it up and teasing about Jesus and doing drugs. And then one day, somehow, just miraculously, he found the Lord. or Really, the Lord found him. And his, he, he got saved. Jesus forgave his sin and came into his heart. And he began to pray and to read his Bible and attend church. And he started talking to all of his partying buddies about Jesus. He would carry his Bible. He had, he'd put all his books into a book a backpack, and then he would carry his Bible. It was a big one like this. He'd carry it in his underarm like this wherever he went at school, baiting people to say, you've got a Bible. So he would open conversation with them about God's word and what God could do in, in, in his heart or in their hearts if they would just turn to him. I mean, I watched him kind of from a distance. I was a bit jealous of his courage and kind of petrified that somebody would say, hey, you love Jesus too, right? How, how come, you know? And he was bold in sharing his faith, but when people scoffed at him, he'd say, here's who I was, and that was the way of death and hell. And here's who I am now. And if you don't change, that's where you're headed. Well, I wish I could tell you about all the gory, painful details of my sordid past without Christ, how He saved me from drugs and crime and uh, prison and multiple marriages, but, uh, you know, I can't because it wasn't like that. I mean, I was four, and... uh, (laughs) I'd gone to church almost every Sunday and my testimony was vanilla and I still knew that I had done things that didn't please Jesus and I still needed his forgiveness. A thimbleful by compared to this guy's ocean. You understand? But you still needed some. I still needed some. And John the Baptist had been preaching in public but an out-of-the-way place that people had to choose to go listen. He had become a sensation. They go to hear him. The religious leaders go to see just basically what's going on. Is somebody starting a revolution? Is it going to upset the apple cart? Because we're right up here on the top of the pile and we don't want to lose our position. They heard John's message, but they didn't believe it. It would cost them too much. So they rejected his message of starting with repentance. They didn't respond personally, not in public, not later. Truthfully, their minds were made up before they went out there. Their hearts were hard. They had found a way to be honored and respected by all the people. And they loved the praise of people more than the praise of God. And God seemed a long way off. And they figured if God grades on the curve, I'm sure I'm going to make the cut. But these prostitutes and tax collectors, they are so bad. They are wretched. Nobody likes them. Nobody respects them. They are the dregs of society. And when they hear the message, they realize, I've got nothing left to lose. And that sounds like such good news. And it's being offered to me for free. And I've got everything to gain. I will be forgiven. I will be loved. I will have peace with God. I will have a purpose in my life. I'll have a fresh new start. And I'll have a home in heaven forever. And people ran to hear John's preach repentance, and we know some of the Pharisees went along in the crowd, but they weren't listening with an open heart to repentance. They were listening so they could ask tougher questions or bring a better report back to the authorities. They saw him as a curiosity, not as the voice of God. They were impressed with their own authority, and they were hard-hearted and proud and filled with self, and they refused to listen or repent, and Jesus condemned them. He really wanted them to do a U-turn in their attitudes and let their hearts be broken by the things that break the heart of God, but there was little chance of that. They were set on a trajectory of self applause and self-congratulation and self-destruction instead of listening to Jesus, they figured out a way to kill the messenger. So how do people enter the kingdom of God? Because everybody's going to die someday. And everybody wants to be in the kingdom of God. And the only way people get into heaven is to be right with God. It's his home. And the only way to be right with God, there's two ways. One is to be sinless. Too late for you. The other is to have your sin forgiven by Jesus, and the only way to have your sin forgiven is to give up on trying to be so impressive in your own strength and do a U-turn and ask God to forgive your sin and ask Jesus to pay the price for you, which he did with his own blood by dying on the cross. When I was in college, I took a friend. We went out to visit my grandma in Hemet. I think everybody has a grandma in Hemet, and... Anyway, we were out there for a long day, and when we said goodbye, it was still about an hour and a half before she would finally let us go. So we got on the road later than we wanted, and we're headed back about a two-hour drive. And after an hour, we stopped and had some refreshment, and then we got back in the car. And I jumped on the road, and we're going, we're going going to be late, but, you know, at least uh, we're we're moving and uh, getting fast down the freeway. And after about an hour, I saw a sign that said, Hemet, five miles. We'd been going the wrong way, and I had to admit, you know, I've been driving us fast the wrong direction for about an hour, and if we're ever going to get home, we have to get off, make some changes, turn around, and go back over the road that we just were on. And it's going to take extra time, extra gas, extra patience, extra everything. Let me ask you, what would it take for you to admit that you need to do a U-turn somewhere in your life? that you've been going the wrong direction, but when you listen to Jesus' authority, you know it's not lining up with what He has for you and for me. And see, many of us need just to humble ourselves before God and ask for His forgiveness and put Him in charge. And let Jesus be the king of our hearts. I mean, good intentions are not enough. How, how do we fall in the same trap with these religious people? They, they knew the Bible. They knew, they knew God's word. They knew all the religious language. They knew how to show up for church. And we could be so proud of ourselves and so set on doing things our way, so sure of ourselves, that we fail to humble ourselves and listen to God's voice and to respond to God's r- word and God's truth, and do things God's way. How would our lives be different if we fully recognized and respected the authority of Jesus? There would be places we need to do a U-turn. I mean, have you given your heart to Jesus and asked Him to forgive your sin? Maybe you, became, like me, became a Christian earlier in life, but did anything change, really? I mean, have you continued in the same old, same old, and, or does Jesus really make a difference? I mean, to repent is to change direction. And the prostitutes and tax collectors didn't receive a place in the kingdom of God because they heard the word of God. They received a place in the kingdom of God because they heard the word of God and they responded appropriately in humility and grief for their own sin and sorry and they, they asked for, for forgiveness. It changed who was in charge in their heart. They quit doing the sinful things that break the heart of God. They were transformed. See, the big idea that we're chasing today is God is calling people to repentance and humility and true worship of God by recognizing Jesus is Lord. Give up on your hardness of heart. Give up on your overinflated view of your self-importance. Give up on your pride and just repent and in true humility worship God. There were two sons, Jesus said. Think. Both heard their father's voice. Which of the two did the will of the father? And the answer is the one who was obedient, the one who took appropriate action, the one who did the will of the father. Let's be that one to walk our talk, to do what is right, not just talk about it. What are you going to do about Jesus? Let's pray. God, open our eyes. Lord, we want to see Jesus. We need Jesus. We need His love and compassion. We need His truth. We need His guidance direction. But we need to also have the courage to admit where we're coming up short. We need to be humble and to do a U-turn so that we get on the path with You and we just keep walking with You every day. Give us that courage as Your sons and Your daughters to live the Jesus way. Thank You for Your Word. Amen.